Today, why church? When I think about church, I grew up as a pastor's kid, as many of you know. So what in, what I, when I think of church, I have incredibly fond memories. And uh, so many of my memories about my childhood come from church and what defined me in church. Now, here's, what, here's just the truth of it. Church shaped me. Now, some of you are saying, I, can you find another shape, dude? Come on, you, you know, I'm just not so sure. Well, let me just say in the words of Popeye, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. And the church had a lot to do with that. It, it made me into who I am, and I'm grateful for that. And church is a, is a place that is extraordinarily important to us as people of faith. It was in church that I surrendered my life to Jesus. It was in church that I expressed the talents and gifts that God had given to me. It was in church that I was called into ministry. It was in church I met my wife. It was in church that I witnessed, that I witnessed the transforming power of God in people's lives. It was all here in church. And I, and I, value, I value the experience of what we call church more than I can really express. And I think at times, how we define church or, or how we view it, it's changed, it's morphed over the years. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a good thing. I'm just saying that's what has happened. But today, my challenge is this, is I want to articulate to you in about 30 minutes why church is important to your spiritual health and well-being. You say, Gary, I don't, I don't know, I don't understand how that can be true. How is this, this thing called church, how is this, how, how can this help me? Well, that's my hope. And I'll be, honestly, it's, it's a challenge within 30 minutes to be able to do that, but I'm going to do my very best. When you look at the New Testament, the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which is a, which is a, a term that was meant simply to be called out for the purpose of discussion. That was the Greek usage. The, church, the, the people of God co-opted that word. And they said it, is, it means called out. That's really, it's a compound word. It means called out. But when the, when the people of God took it, it was to be called out for the purpose of worship. So you'd be set aside to do what we're doing this morning. We gather together for worship. We're called out. The called out ones for the purpose of worship. When you look at the New Testament, you do a little deeper study, you find there are nearly 100 different designations of the church that fold around four different categories. And you say, now, Gary, what does this all have to do with anything? I'm hoping you'll just hang with me for a couple of minutes as we kind of lay some groundwork here. Those categories are important. When you look at the, at the, at the New Testament, you see that the churches are called the people of God. They're called the fellowship Listen, the fellowship of faith called new creation in the body of Christ. So in those four categories are a hundred, almost a hundred different designations of what the church is. So you can see there are so many varied ways to look at the called out ones. Understand, the church is not an institution. I want to say that again. The church is not an institution, like, the, like government is an institution. The church is an organism. It is living. It is breathing. 
It is alive. Why? Because the life of the Spirit of God is here. So just from that in itself, you can begin to see how important the church is. This is a representation of the people of God. Every, everywhere in the world, people today are gathering as the people of God and lifting up their praise to the Lord. You're all part of that. That is magnificent. What an incredible privilege. Also, the church is composed of believers in Christ. Everyone who names Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord is a part of the church. And the church is composed of those who have fellowship in the Spirit of God. You can see that very clearly as you read the book of Acts. So, it's quite obvious from some of those statements that the church is a gathering of people. It is a place where we gather, but also understand the church is more and really not a building. The church primarily is people. It's people. So there's a both and connection to the church. So think of it this way. Church is more than a place you attend. We are the church. I love that. I love to be a part of the church. So I love the church. And whether it is purpose-driven, deliberate or intentional, whether it is contagious, irresistible, unstoppable, or provocative, whether it has been recently rediscovered or is, is only just emerging, whether it is a five-star or come-as-you-are, deep, wide, healthy, organic, equipping, connecting, or even unleashed, it is God's unshakable plan to make people for his own possession. The church of Jesus Christ is the plan of God for his people, for you and for me. I'm grateful for that. I love the church, and so should we all. So, why church? Why church? You're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and I would suggest or I would say that it's really an iconic passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 16. So if you've got your, if you're open on the app, look at it with me. If you brought your Bible, you brought your smartphone, you brought your tablet, whatever, look at it with me. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, well, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, or son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that whatever Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Speak life to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. As, John, as this passage, or, verse, or chapter number 16 begins, we see the religious leaders approach Jesus. And they ask him this question. Give us a sign from heaven. 
you know what's so ironic about that? Jesus has just fed 4,000 people with some fish and bread. And they say, give us a sign from heaven. Can you imagine? It's like, what? Was, what? How in the world? You need something else? What more? Frustrated to no end with these religious leaders. He went on and he rebuked them. He said, I'm done with you guys. Went off and then he told his disciples. He said, look guys, don't buy in to what the Pharisees and the religious leaders are teaching. And then out of that, he, was, he asked this question. Because it was, being, it was kind of the, under, the underpinning of that whole conversation. He said, listen, who do people say that I am? And they answer, well, they say John the Baptist, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He goes, okay, but let's go a little deeper with this. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter, as the spokesman of the disciples, he said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He says, and upon that rock, Jesus would later declare, he says, this wasn't revealed to you by man. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And it's upon that declaration that my church is going to be built. And there will be nothing that will stop the advance of the church. Now, let me just say, over the past six months, it, it appears that the enemy has unleashed every possible way to stop the advance of the church. But I want to tell you, it will never happen. Why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing will prevent it from being built. Hallelujah. I'm grateful for that as I know you are. So when we learn, what we learn from this is three very simple things. And these are just preliminary, very preliminary. The church will be built by Jesus. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the church belongs to Jesus. And number three is that the church will endure because of Jesus. So Jesus is the central focus of the church. And it is important for us to keep that very clearly in focus. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some answers to the question, why church? Now, there are probably hundreds of different things that I could share. But I want to share very briefly just seven things. Seven reasons why the church is important. The first is this. Why church? Because it's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of obedience. Now, there is a little bit of a, a nuance here, a subtlety that we have to grasp. When you say that, it's because of obedience. Now, that has a, has a tendency to say, well, it's because attendance. You know, it's attendance to a building, to a location. Yeah, that's true. But for the people of God, for those of us who have claimed know, and have dedicated our lives to Christ, understand, we, it is a matter of obedience for us to be involved in the church, not just attend a building, but to be a part of this community of faith. That goes a lot of different directions. But we need to be a part of it. It's a matter of obedience. Hebrews chapter 10, you shouldn't stay away from church meetings, as some are doing. But you should meet together and encourage each other. Do this more as you see the day coming. Now listen to this. Over the past maybe, I'll say, I'm going to go 10 years. Church attendance, generally speaking, has been on the decline. And it is, it, it is, that's just a reality. The average church will experience about 40% of their attendance who call themselves that part of that church on each or every given week. It is average that about two to three times a month a person will attend a gathering such as this. 
since COVID-19 struck, that was in March when we moved away from in-person gatherings. 48% of those who call themselves a part of the church did not attend one online gathering in the last six months. Not one. As a pastor, that's extraordinarily troubling. You say, well, what is the value? I don't understand. Because simply, those of us who call Jesus Lord, I'm going to step on some toes. Those who call Jesus Lord, when we are not a part of the church, we're being disobedient. I don't want to be in a place where I'm disobedient to the Lord. Because with obedience comes blessing. With disobedience, well, you can do the math. Infrequent attendance is almost always a sign of sliding devotion. We participate in the things that we value the most. And every one of us would have to shake our heads in agreement because we know exactly what that means. Don't misunderstand me. I fight very hard within my life and my teaching against legalism. That's not what I'm talking about. I, 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 I'm, that's always in the forefront of my mind because I never want to be that. I never want to be that. But I'm telling you, this gathering, this organism called the Church of Jesus Christ, when people gather together, is incredibly important. And it's a matter of obedience. Deuteronomy, you know, we should make attendance and, and participation in the body of Christ a thing that we get to do, not something we have to do. I get to go to church. I get to be in life group. I get to serve. I get to worship. I get to be with the people of God. I get to go to a time of prayer. That should be the perspective of our life. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 10. Listen to what Moses said. Assemble, or rather this is God speaking to Moses. Assemble the people in my presence to listen to my words so that they will learn to fear me in holy fear for as long as they live in the land and one more and then they will teach the same words to their children it's critical it's time that we ramp it up not tamp it down we need to be more aggressive and more passionate about the church second why church because we get to sit on the front row of god's grace you say what do you mean gary well 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says, but, but by the remarkable grace of God, Paul says this, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not without effect. You know, I, I love that. Growing up in church, I sat, now see, this, if I was in my home church, we had, two row, we had two sets of pews going down the aisle. I sat right there. Second row. I couldn't get any farther back or my dad would have hmm, not been happy with me. That's where I sat. But here's what would happen. I sat as a child and I did this. I watched when people came to the altar. You know why I watched? Because I knew God was about ready to do something significant in their life and I wanted to see it. And I can remember what God did in so many people's lives. I remember a young lady by the name of Allison. 
She was 16 years old. She had a hard look on her face week after week after week. And I just continued to, to share the love of God week after week. And one Wednesday night, Allison, I was doing something and I happened to turn. And I see Allison kneeling, just pouring her life out to Christ. Transformed by the power of God. And that hard look went to a sweet spirit. And her and her husband, Dave, are just wonderful Christ followers. I'm so grateful for that. I think of John. John came to church. And John's mind was gone because of drugs. He could hardly communicate. He came that morning to receive Christ, and he received Christ. And over the next number of months, I saw John transform some, from someone who could not communicate to someone who could share the Word of God with anyone that he would have the opportunity to share. God changed John. He renewed his mind, I think. I think of another individual by the name of Ryan, away from God, living a life that was just so messed up. And one Easter Sunday morning, as I was having the opportunity to preach, made an altar call, and in this auditorium that was cavernous, there's no other way to say it, Ryan, right down the center aisle, walked and gave his heart back to Christ. His life was changed, and now Ryan serves on one of the boards of our churches in Northern California. I'm so grateful for what God did in Ryan's life. He transformed. I remember an 80-year-old, an 80-something-year-old lady who said, Pastor Gary, I want to get baptized. I said, but I'm scared of water. And I said, I understand. I said, look, you consider, you talk with your family. We'll make this work. A couple weeks later, she said, I'm going to do it. And I said, well, we're with you. We've got everybody up and ready to help you. And I'm telling you, I can still see her face. She walked into the water. She was beaming. And I had the privilege of baptizing her with her children standing on either side of that baptistry, witnessing what God had done in her life. And I want to tell you, somebody over the age of 65 that comes to Jesus Christ, it's only one in 100,000 people that give their life to Christ after age 65. She was a miracle, transformed by the power of God. I don't want you to miss that. That's why church is important, because you are on the front row of the grace of God. You get to observe what God does. Your children get to see what God does. Parents, keep your kids in church so important. Number three, why church? Because we get to worship together. We get to worship together. You know, I love it. I, I love the fact that we get to worship. Psalm 95 says this, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Isn't that good? I don't know if you noticed, three different times, the word is us, us, us. I am so grateful for my wonderful wife because I sing a lot in the car. She puts up with it, and she has for 44 years. 
Every time a song comes on, if I know it, I'm singing it. Okay? Now, I'm not here to say I'm good, bad, or indifferent, but I am pretty good. <laughs> anyway, I sing all the time. And I worship when I'm by myself. You do too. And there's value in that. But there's value right here. There's nothing like being in a place where everybody is lifting up their voices and everybody is clapping their hands and everybody is corporately worshiping. We need to worship God together. Can you grow without? Yes, you can. Can you worship without? Rather, that's a better way of saying it. Without a, yes, you can. But the value of being together cannot be calculated. You need the worship. You need to hear your brothers, sisters, and friends worshiping God. Let's be worshipers, bold and authentic and passionate and energized. And remain focused on Jesus. Hebrews 13, through Jesus, listen to this, through Jesus, therefore continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of your lips, look it, that openly profess his name. What did we just sing a moment ago? What a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. What a powerful name it is. Who is that? Come on, who is that? We are to openly profess his name together. Number four, why do we worship? Why church? Because we have a mission to complete. Matthew chapter 8, uh, 28 Jesus came and told his disciples, I've give, been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and then the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And sure, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here is the primary purpose of the church. It's the sharing of the good news of Jesus. The church gathered, yes, but the church individually is to continue to share the good news of Jesus. That's our primary purpose. And if you take all the four Gospels, plus the book of Acts, chapter 1, and especially if you took it, look at Mark, the last portion, the longer ending of the Gospel of Mark, the Great Commission is mentioned five times. Five times. It reinforces the priority of the mission to which we are called. The great composer, I found this story and I just thought it was fabulous. I got to share it. The great composer, Giacomo Puccini. Now, I'm not an opera guy, okay? So just so you know, I like music, but opera, I'm kind of lost, all right? So I'm kind of on the spectrum here. Opera, not so much. Rap, not so much. Kind of everything in between, I'm okay with. But Puccini wrote some amazing operas. One of them was Be La Boheme. Now, that would be something you might remember or might be familiar with, or Madame Butterfly, Toscana. Those are operas that he wrote. These are magnificent pieces. Well, in 1922, Puccini was diagnosed with cancer. And he was in the middle of maybe one of his best operas. And he realized, I, I'm not, probably not going to be able to finish it. He, he, the fatigue was more than he could handle. And he went off to have surgery for cancer. And he made this statement before he went. He said, if I don't finish this, my students will. Well, he went off to Brussels to have the surgery. Two days after the surgery was complete, he died. One of his favorite students, who you might recognize his name, 
Arturo Toscanini. Toscanini, the, the students actually continued his work. Well, Toscanini, the gala, the premiere of this amazing opera, all right? He is, he is directing the orchestra and the singers, and, and then it comes to the point where Puccini had stopped. Toscanini took his boat, his baton, and he sat it down. He turned around to the audience and he said, the master, this is where his work is finished and tears streaming down his face because he loved this man. But then he changed his countenance. Smile returned to his face and he picked up the baton and this is what he said. He says, thus far the master wrote, but he died after a few minutes. Now his face now wreathed and smile. Toscanini picked up his baton and he cried out, but his disciples finished his work. Think about it. Our master, Jesus, died, but he came back to life victorious over the grave, over death, and over hell. And the commission that he gave to us, his disciples, it is our responsibility to complete his work. That's what the church is all about. Why church? Because we are called to take the good news of Jesus to those who have yet to hear. Why church? The next is because we desperately need godly relationships. Now I'm going to ask you to do some. I'm going to ask you all to stand up. Come on, stand up. If you can stand up, stand up. You need to stretch your legs anyway. Doesn't that feel good? All right. How'd you do this before, but I'm going to have you do it again. I want you to turn around, and I want you to make eye contact with five people. Come on, do it, do it. Five, five. Wave at them, do something. Count them off. There you go. There you go. All right, all right, sit down. Stop it, stop it. Stop it. All right. I want to tell you something. You can sit down. I want to tell you what I saw. You ready? I saw smiling faces. When you gazed into the eyes of your friends and your family, smiles, your faces lit up. Why? Because we need each other. And the church of Jesus Christ is a great place to build those relationships, to grow them. You need those relationships, as do I. John 13 says, I'm now giving you a new commandment, Jesus said, love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other. You love Your love for one another, listeners, will, be, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You see, Jesus taught us, Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to be salt and light within our world, aren't we? We're to influence those around us. And this gathering of people, the connections that we have, the building of life together as the church of Jesus Christ, and the love that we have for each other prove to others that we belong to Jesus. You know, it is not our building that proves that we belong to Jesus. It's not even the, the wonderful words. No, it's our love. It's how, we, it's how we love each other. It's how we love each other. It is so important for us as the church. Now, while I would not go as far as some, and even my dad, my dad was very, I love I loved my father, I'm so grateful for his life and influence. But my dad could be pretty dogmatic. 
And here's what my dad would say about the church. Ready? He would question a person's faith if someone was not a part of a local church. I've heard him say it. Now, I wouldn't go that far. I won't. Because I understand, and I think he did too. But what he was saying to me is that he knew, he knew the value of these relationships. He knew the value of gathering together. You need that person sitting next to you. Now, the family, I get it, but you know what I'm saying, figuratively speaking. You need them. They need you. Hear, me, hear this carefully. You cannot claim to know Jesus and avoid his people. Wow, it got quiet. You cannot claim to know Jesus and avoid his people. It's that important. 1 Peter chapter 2, respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Why church? Because it's where we grow our faith. Because it's where we grow our faith. Ephesians 4 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness or completeness of Christ. You know, one might ask, at this point, is, is the church the only place we can grow our faith? Well, of course not. Of course not. However, don't, don't, miss, don't miss this. We grow as the word of God is preached to us. We grow as we worship together. We grow as we pray together. We grow as we use our gifts together. We grow as we participate in the life of the church. We grow as we encourage others. We grow as we serve one another. We grow. We grow together more than we grow alone. And the reason is that iron sharpens iron. I sharpen you. You sharpen me. We knock off the rough edges. We sand down those areas that need to be sanded down. We allow the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives to make the life change that is so necessary so that we grow our faith. I'm grateful for how we grow within the church. Colossians 3 let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with God with thankful hearts. And then 2 Peter 3, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And finally, why church? Because we should love, we should love that which Jesus loves. I'm going to say it again, because we should love what Jesus loves. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives. Ready? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We should love what Jesus loves. 1 Peter 2, you are God's chosen and special people. You're a group of royal priests, a holy nation. God has brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now you must tell all the wonderful things that he has done. Jesus loves the church, 
And we should love what he loves. So one final thought this morning. We are the church. Let's be the church. And let's love the church. Father, thank you for this morning. I pray that each of us would be challenged in our own way to be more a part of that which you gave your life for. Thank you for the church. Thank you, Jesus, that you love the church. You love this holy nation, this royal priesthood. Thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of worshiping together, growing together, serving together. Thank you, Lord, that we can be on the front row of your grace. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do among us. We're grateful. And Lord, I pray this morning that if there is one in this place who doesn't, who isn't a part of the church, who, who's not received Jesus as Savior, who has not experienced the transforming power of God, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, speak to their life. Do in their life as you have done in so many over the centuries of time. And continuing to do that today of life change, real, authentic change from death to life because of Jesus. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you keep your heads bowed a moment? In a moment we're going to do communion together. But before we do that, I want to just ask this, the most profound question that I can ask of anyone. Do you know Jesus today? Do you know Jesus? Is he Savior? Is he Lord? And really, there's a distinction between the two, Savior and Lord. Savior, we ask Jesus to forgive us of sin. And, and we, we repent. We turn away from those things that don't honor God. But Lord is a whole other story. This is saying, Jesus, you have charge and control over my life. Lead me. Lead me. Scripture's clear. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he will forgive us our sins. Thank you, Lord. But hear this. The Apostle Paul said it clearly. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that he is alive, we will be saved. So I want to give an opportunity this morning with your heads bowed and eyes closed. A simple call. I want to know Jesus today. I am giving my life to Jesus as Savior to forgive me of my sin and Lord. I'm going to declare him as Lord to take charge of my life. If that's you, lift your hand right now. I'll be, I'm going to be the only one to see it. And I want to pray with you before we go out into the rest of this day. Just for a moment. Father, thank you for all that you have done in us today. We're so grateful. And I pray in these moments that we come around the table of the Lord, that you will speak life once again to us through the bread and the cup of your suffering and your life. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you take the cup that you have for communion? If you don't have one, we do have them available at either side of the parking lot. So as we do each, each time, 
peel off the top layer first reveals a small wafer. There's only one requirement to taking communion together with the family of God, and that is that you know Jesus as Savior. That's all. You don't have to be a member of this church, nothing like that. Just, just Jesus is Savior. If you'll hold the bread in your hand, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat it for it is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let me just stop for a moment. Don't walk through life broken. You need not be broken. Jesus was broken for us. Receive all that he is and what the bread represents and walk in wholeness today. So as I pray over the bread, to say, Lord, those broken areas of my life, would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the bread and all that it means. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would mend the broken places and restore them to wholeness with us. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the bread. We thank you that, Lord, you, you were willing to have your body broken. And we are grateful. And we take the bread together with gratitude. In Jesus' name. Let us take the bread together. Open up the juice portion. Be careful. Don't squeeze it. Or you'll have a surprise you don't want. Okay? After supper, Jesus took the cup. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, take this cup and drink it and drink all of it because this is my blood, which is the new covenant, which is poured out for you. That covenant would free us of sin once and for all. Jesus paid it all. One more time. Jesus paid it all. One time. It's done. It's done. Grateful for that. After supper, he took the cup. Gave it to his disciples and said, drink it, drink all of it. For this is my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus, thank you for the blood that was shed for us. There can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. We're grateful that you gave your life. And Lord, we examine ourselves. Purify us from all unrighteousness so that as we take this cup this morning, it honors you. And Lord, it has full effect within our lives. Remembering your life, your teaching your sacrifice, your, your sufferings, your sacrifice, your resurrection, and it points to the day when you will come for us once again. Grateful for that, Lord, and we take this cup this morning, remembering you with gratitude in your name. Let us take the cup together. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Stand with me. Everybody stand. We're going to sing one more song of worship and praise. And if our prayer team is available, I'm going to ask them to come down to the side, stand as much shade as they can. And if you have a need, they will remain physically distanced from you. That's not a problem if that is okay. But they're here to pray with you. We don't want you to miss that opportunity. If you need prayer today, our prayer team will be on either side of the, of the stage. Thank you for being with us this morning for worship. But let's lift our voices in these last moments together and worship. And then I want to have the opportunity to greet as many of you as we can. But let's worship the Lord before we go out into the remainder of our day. <laughs>